and A to Z of the Holy Land, from Arab to Zion, with Ed Kessler, founder director of the Wolf Institute. Episode 14, N for New Testament and Old Testament. The Israeli New Testament scholar Professor David Flusser told a story about a meeting with a group of evangelical Christians who were visiting him in Jerusalem. Why should we quarrel? I asked them. You believe in the coming of the Messiah, and so do we Jews. So let us both work for it and pray for it. Only when he arrives, please allow me to ask him the first question. Excuse me, sir, is this your first visit to Jerusalem? You might expect the Old and New Testaments to contain conflicting views of the Holy Land, since the former comprises 39 books and 420,000 words in Hebrew, that's 620,000 words in English, and the latter, 27 books and 140,000 words in Greek, about 180,000 words in English. However, there is surprising consistency. Possession of the Holy Land is a divine gift. Dispossession, divine disapproval. In the New Testament, there are only three references to the land of Israel. Most references refer to the people of Israel, suggesting land was relatively unimportant. This is partly because the New Testament books were written between 25 to 75 years after the death of Jesus and used by an increasingly Gentile Christian audience for whom the Holy Land was foreign. This is epitomized by the book of Acts, which describes the geographical shift of the Christian community from Jerusalem to Rome. Another reason was the delay in Christ's expected return. The church responded by spiritualizing the kingdom of God rather than developing a theology of land. The churches that flourished most prominently after the first century CE were located near to, but not in, the Holy Land, Alexandria, Antioch and Rome. And although Jerusalem remained of significance to the Orthodox Christian world, it was overtaken by Caesarea and Constantinople. Of course, the Holy Land was not ignored and church liturgy traces the path of Jesus from birth in Bethlehem to death and resurrection in Jerusalem. Pilgrimages began as early as late 2nd century and increased when Constantine's mother Helena visited in 325 AD and discovered the true cross. Her son, the emperor, undertook a major building program, including the construction of the Church of the Resurrection, which is often called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Thus, from a very early period, Christians were keenly aware that the Holy Land contained the sites of the most momentous acts of sacred history. Despite the popularity of pilgrimage, some church fathers expressed misgivings, such as Jerome, who lived in Bethlehem. He produced one of my favorite patristic quotes. The gates of heaven stand open in Britain, quite as wide as in Jerusalem. Do not think anything is missing in your faith because you've not seen Jerusalem. Do not therefore consider us any better because we're able to live in this place. The focus on the Holy Land is more apparent in the Old Testament, or Hebrew Bible, as it is often called, giving the land numerous names, including Canaan, Eretz Israel, which means land of Israel, Zion, Zion, or simply Haaretz, meaning the land. Much of the biblical story is connected, in one way or another, to possession and dispossession. Biblical narratives repeat God's promise to Abraham, to your descendants I have given this land, and depict a cycle of Israelites fighting for and conquering the land before being dispossessed and weeping about the loss of land. 
In fact, it is hard to speak of Israel in any meaningful sense without the Holy Land and the exodus from Egypt to the Promised Land, creating an inexorable bond between Jews and the land of Israel. For religious Zionists today, Jewish sovereignty in the Holy Land is a fulfillment of the divine promise. What then is the significance of the destruction of Jerusalem and its temple in 70? In New Testament passages, Jesus is himself described as the new temple, and the early church viewed the destruction as a sign of God's judgment on Jews and their displacement as God's people, replaced, of course, by the church. The church father, Augustine, is typical. No one can fail to see, he wrote, that in every land where the Jews are scattered, they mourn for the loss of their kingdom and are in terrified subjection to the immensely superior number of Christians. The church fathers consistently used the destruction and dispersion as proof that God had rejected Jews, the direct result of their rejection of Jesus Christ. As long as Jerusalem and the temple lay in ruins and Jews exiled from the Holy Land, it appeared that Christians were correct in claiming that Judaism had lost its legitimacy. The Jews, the destruction was also interpreted as a punishment and explained in the Midrash as follows. Just as I led Adam into the Garden of Eden and commanded him and he transgressed my commandment, whereupon I punished him by dismissal and exile, so also did I bring his descendants into the land of Israel and commanded them, and they transgressed my commands and I punished them by dismissal and exile. The biblical prophets had warned about the consequences of disobedience, threatening the loss of the land, chiding Israel for having lost it, or prophesying what action God will take to return the people from exile and restore them to the land. This has led some Christian Zionists to apply biblical text to contemporary events. For example, Isaiah 11:10 to 14 is viewed as predicting the capture of the Sinai, and Luke 21 to 24 with the return of Jerusalem to Jewish control in 1967. As for me, I follow the view of Lutheran minister Mitri Raheb, who lives in the Holy Land and writes, The land happens to be the homeland of two peoples, and each of them should understand this land to be a gift of God to be shared with one another. Peace and the blessing on the land and on the two peoples will depend upon the sharing. Only then will the biblical promises be fulfilled. Swift's returning to nest near the Western Wall 